You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is produced in cooperation with the AGA Institute. This educational program is sponsored by Given Imaging, expanding the scope of GI. For more information on the leader in the specialty GI diagnostics market, please visit givenimaging.com. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at the University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. How can physicians investigate suspected small bowel disease or gastrointestinal bleeding in our younger patients? Joining us today to discuss detecting small bowel abnormalities in pediatric patients is Dr. Stanley Cohn, a gastroenterologist at the Combined Center for Inflammatory Bowel Disease and Children's Center for Digestive Healthcare at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and an adjunct clinical professor of pediatrics at Emory University in Atlanta. Welcome, Dr. Cohn. Thank you very much, Jay. All righty. Today we're going to be talking about pediatrics and small bowel disease. How common are small bowel findings in these types of patients? That's an interesting and very good question because what happens is is we're just beginning to recognize the range of small bowel disease in children, mainly because we haven't had good access to it before. Previously, we were dependent on shadows on x-rays. So now as we're understanding that better with capsule endoscopy, we can really get a full view of what this means, whether it's celiac disease, whether it's lymphangiectasia, what else could be downstream in terms of enteropathies, and things even like the extent of Crohn's disease that we didn't appreciate before. You've kind of touched on the next question, and that really is, what is the scope of findings that one could suspect, and does it vary by the age within the pediatric population, two-year-olds, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds? Yes, very much. It varies by age, and much of that is dictated, actually, by looking at the children who have inflammatory bowel disease. As that population becomes more prevalent in the older childhood adolescent group, that dominates what we see and what we look for. In the younger children from two to perhaps eight years of age, what we're beginning to look for more is those things that are more aligned actually with the adult kind of indications with occult GI bleeding, with malabsorption, with enteropathies that show up, for example, an allergic enteropathy, and for polyposis, such as Pooch-Yeager syndrome, which we would see at that age as well. As the individual ages and enters into 14, 16, 18 years old, does this better reflect the adult population in the scope of findings? Actually not, and that's what's interesting about it is when we've looked at the published data in pediatrics and when we've looked at our own experience at the Children's Center for Digestive Health Care, what we see is that it's predominantly the Crohn's population or looking at suspected Crohn's disease or perhaps even known IBD and defining their classification better. In the adult population, what happens is that's dominated by looking for cancer and for tumors. Crohn's disease represents only 10% in the adult population when you look at the large meta-analyses that have been done. 
Whereas when you look at the pediatric population, we're now talking about 50% of the population. So again, as I was saying before, when we're looking at the younger population where Crohn's disease isn't so predominant, that's when, again, it's more likely to be looking for the occult GI bleeder or those that are having malabsorption. Well, let's look at some of the tests that we have in our armamentarium to go ahead and evaluate the small bowel. What's available for us? What we've been so dependent upon in the past has been the upper GI small bowel follow-through, the radiographic studies. And as you know, that was a basic tool that we had that wasn't very good and has not demonstrated much in the way of the full complement of what we can see at the mucosal level. As a result, CT scans were developed, and then MRI and aerography. And those have been progressively better in terms of what happens, both in terms of thickened mucosa and what's happening externally to the bowel in the serosa or pressing on the bowel. What about scopes? The problem with the scope is that the upper endoscope, as you know, only goes down through the duodenum and maybe, if we're lucky, into the first portion of the jejunum for a few sonometers. So, therefore, you have to do deep enteroscopy with balloon enteroscopy. And the problem there is that there's really nothing published. There's a very limited experience there. What's changed things greatly has been the capsule endoscopy. And with the capsule endoscopy, as it traverses the small bowel, we're getting much more information than we ever expected, and even more now than we really completely understand. We're just exploring this. The way I sometimes explain it to some of my patients is that when I started practice, upper endoscopy was just coming in to the forefront. And at that time, we were dependent on upper GIs to tell us that there were ulcers. But when we started scoping patients, we realized that we were missing over 50% of the ulcers, over 50% of the disease that was in the stomach because we were previously looking with an inaccurate tool. Well, now that we had the endoscope, we were able to extend that. We were able to do the same thing with the capsule, but now into the small bowel, which I often refer to as the last frontier. How safe is capsule endoscopy in children? It's actually quite safe. If you look at the retention rate, and retention meaning a capsule that doesn't pass from the intestine for over two weeks or that's retained and requires surgery, you're at about the same level as adults with approximately 2% of the patients having that risk. It goes up in patients who have known Crohn's disease, and it goes down in everybody else. So, because we do so much more in the Crohn's population, our relative risk is slightly higher than the adults when you look at retention rate for pediatrics. But if you look at retention rate for pediatrics by indication, then you get a much more accurate view of what retention is and what that real risk is. What you're suggesting is that you have to select your patient appropriately. Is that correct? Correct. What is appropriate then? What you certainly don't want to do is do a capsule endoscopy in somebody, for example, who's having bilious vomiting, who has evidence of a stricture. You don't want to do capsule endoscopy in somebody who has a swallowing disorder, or at least you don't want to have them swallow the capsule. In that case, what we do is actually place the capsule in the duodenum. With the issue of retention, once again, what's been 
interesting is this newfangled idea called the patency capsule. And what that is, is that's basically a placebo where there's a timer plug at each end of the capsule. The capsule is the identical size of the video capsule, but it disintegrates if it becomes lodged in a obstructed area. If it passes in less than 30 hours, or if it passes intact even after that, within a short period of time, one can proceed with capsule endoscopy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me to discuss detecting small bowel abnormalities in pediatric patients is Dr. Stanley Cohn, a gastroenterologist at the Combined Center for Inflammatory Bowel Disease and Children's Center for Digestive Healthcare at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and an adjunct clinical professor of pediatrics at Emory University in Atlanta. Well, let's talk a little bit about that patency capsule. Does everybody get one before they undergo capsule endoscopy? No, that's usually not necessary. It is important, however, to use in patients where you suspect a stricture. For example, a patient with Pooch-Yeager syndrome where you're looking for polyps, you're really unlikely to have any retention that's related to a small bowel pathology. Whereas a patient who's had long-standing Crohn's disease is more likely to have a stricture and obstruction. And in that child or adolescent, what you want to do is definitely use the patency capsule to obviate the issues of retention. Do you want to use the patency capsule or do you want to get a radiologic image of the small bowel before proceeding or both? Good question. In the initial times that we started using these patency capsule we started doing small bowel follow-throughs at the same time. The problem with small bowel follow-through or a radiological procedure is that you get false positives and false negatives. That is, there are times when a stricture appears apparent on a radiographic procedure, whereas the capsule will pass fluidly without any difficulty. At the same time, there's times when the capsule has been stuck though an x-ray has been done previously and said that there was no stricture apparent. You're suggesting that the capsule could be used in the management of long-term Crohn's disease to evaluate progress, response to therapy. Is that correct? Right. And in fact, that's one of the most important uses of it today. It's not only to help in the detection of IBD, but we've done some studies, both retrospective and prospective, where we've used it to look at patients with known inflammatory bowel disease. And in fact, in our retrospective study, looking at a small group of 28 patients, we had 21 Crohn's disease patients. And of those, 13 or 62% had more extensive disease than was previously expected. Of the five ulcerative colitis and two indeterminate colitis patients, it actually changed the classification for five of those changing therapy for four, and prevented surgery in one of those patients. When we looked back to see whether any laboratory parameters could distinguish those patients that we would see this in, it was unable to do so. We then proceeded on with a prospective study. And there we looked at 10 suspected and eight known IBD patients. All of them we used the patency capsule on. We did not have a single retention in that group. Of the 10 with known Crohn's disease, six had more extensive disease in the small bowel. 
and four of five with either ulcerative colitis or indeterminate colitis. Four of those, as I say, were reclassified as Crohn's disease. What this resulted in is that the capsule endoscopy assisted the detection of IBD in 15 of 18, which is 83%. But importantly, and as you point out, it helped in the therapeutic decision-making in 13 of those 18, which is 72%, and actually changed the management of 15 out of the 18, or again, 83%. You've made a convincing argument for the use of a capsule in the management of patients with Crohn's disease. But what other major steps forward has Capsule brought to the management of pediatric patients? As we begin to look at Pooch-Yeager syndrome, we can readily define where that is. It's been used in graft-versus-host disease. It's been used in malabsorptive disorders. It's wonderful in terms of looking at the extent and severity of intestinal lymphangiectasia. It's important in allergic enteropathies and in looking at other mucosal diseases that we really didn't have much understanding about before. I'd like to thank my guest from Emory University School of Medicine, Dr. Stanley Cohn. Dr. Cohn, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights. It's a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is produced in cooperation with the AGA Institute, This educational program is sponsored by Given Imaging, expanding the scope of GI. For more information on the leader in the specialty GI diagnostics market, please visit givenimaging.com. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com and use promo code AGA. Since 2001, Given Imaging has advanced endoscopic technology by developing innovative, patient-friendly tools based on its PillCam platform. Supported by more than 1,300 peer-reviewed publications and the experience of 1.2 million patients worldwide, the PillCam capsule endoscopy procedure enhances patient satisfaction with no required bowel prep and no radiation exposure. PillCam does not require sedation and is now considered the gold standard for small bowel visualization. And since PillCam SB is now cleared for use in patients ages 2 and older, even more of your patients can benefit from this patient-friendly technology. To learn more about PillCam Capsule Endoscopy, please visit CapsuleEndoscopy.org, a website dedicated to healthcare professionals with an interest in this advanced technology. CapsuleEndoscopy.org is a place for healthcare professionals to teach, learn, and share. Given Imaging, the recognized leader in capsule endoscopy.